Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. The podcast series has been created to shine a light on the diverse and inspiring careers of Australia's pharmacists. Each episode will focus on the varied career opportunities within the pharmacy industry by exploring the career paths taken by leaders in the fields of community pharmacy, hospital, industry, government and professional organisations. Careers never follow a defined path. Everyone's story is different and unique in their own way. The podcast series will help you discover the world of opportunities that exist and reveal pathways to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, or simply looking for a change at any stage of your career, the podcast series is designed to help you navigate ways into a career and a life that you love. Your host of the podcast series is Ali Sue. Ali, herself a pharmacist, is now the founder of Global Pharmacy Entrepreneurs and a passionate advocate for pharmacists to grow, innovate, excel, and make a lasting impact in the world. It's now over to our host, Ali Sue. Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. We're very lucky to have the president of the Pharmacy Guild today to share with us his thoughts and plans for the pharmacy industry. Trent Toomey was elected as National President of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia in March 2021. Trent has been involved with the Guild for over 10 years and was part of the successful negotiating team for the 6th and 7th Community Pharmacy Agreements. He is the Secretary of the World Pharmacy Council, immediate past Chairman and Director of Advanced Cans, a professor at James Cook University a council member of the Queensland Futures Institute and a trustee for the Committee for Economic Development of Australia. Trent and his wife are both pharmacists and own a small group of pharmacies in northern Queensland. In this episode, Trent shares his insights on how to create a successful pharmacy career. Without further ado, let's welcome Trent. Hello, Trent. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm looking forward to get to know you so we can learn from you. I have interviewed or spoken to many early career pharmacists, and I've noticed many early career pharmacists are leaving profession, and many have given feedback that they are excited that community pharmacists can now deliver more services to patients, but at the same time, they're expected to have more responsibilities with same number of staff or same wage. Because of that, many of them experience burnout or stress or depression. What are your thoughts on that? I think that is real. And I think all employers and employees acknowledge that. And the last 18 months has been immensely difficult, hasn't it? Especially for our profession, because where other members of the primary healthcare team um, shut their doors and transitioned to telehealth, we were brave. And we stayed open. And I just want to start by saying thank you to all of the frontline pharmacists and pharmacy assistants who, in the face of fear and uncertainty, not only continued with their existing responsibilities, but picked up the slack and burden that was placed on all of our shoulders. When other areas of the healthcare system stood back, we stood up. Listen, I I can't do anything other than be frank and honest with you. We are in a great period of change. And with change comes not only stress, but amazing opportunity. 
And I could only have dreamt when I was a young pharmacist of being able to assist in a global pandemic with vaccinations to protect the vulnerable, of being able to go out to high school programs and vaccinate and protect our youth, to be able to go out to residential aged care facilities and vaccinate and protect our old and and frail. Change is hard. That's why you are a tertiary trained healthcare professional with five years of experience. You are an independent practitioner. And that's the difference between being an APRA accredited health professional and being somebody who's gone to TAFE and and done a trade. So all I can promise all of you is that the profession will continue to meet the challenges of the changes that are going to be there in healthcare. We will meet these challenges head on. The Guild will invest any and all resources, both political and technological and education-wise, ensure that we are there with you, supporting you, holding your hand and helping you with these challenges. But that's why we all signed up. We signed up to be pharmacists. We signed up to be primary healthcare providers to help people when they're in need, to help people when they're their most vulnerable. So I suppose the best thing I can do is to give you a reassurance that you will not be left alone and that we will, we, the Pharmacy Guild of Australia is there with every single one of our pharmacists every step of the way as our healthcare system goes through this immense period of change. And I personally, for one, find it exceptionally rewarding to be able to assist Australians when they most need us. And it, I have to say it excites me. What does that look like for future pharmacists who are not owners? So full scope of practice. For those of you that have been reading AJP, as I assume you have, best journal in the industry, great journal, uh, you would have heard me at nauseam talking about our ambition to create full scope of practice pharmacists, right? And that's about, as I said in my introduction, not just enabling a clinically and professionally and financially rewarding career for everybody, but it's foremost, first and foremost, about Australians. So I'm not going to sit here and and talk about uh, different practice settings. I'm the national president of community pharmacy and I'll talk about community pharmacy. That's my role. When I talk about the future of community pharmacy, it's about the future of the healthcare system that delivers what Australians want. And If other bodies want to talk about themselves um, and want to talk about future roles of what pharmacists may be doing, they can go ahead and do that. What I'm going to talk about is what Australians can expect to get from their community pharmacy in the future that they're not getting now. And the great way to talk about that is to do an international comparison. So the Pharmacy Guild of Australia is a member of the World Pharmacy Council and the World Pharmacy Council is the peak body for pharmacists in the world. And we represent pharmacies at the, at the OECD and we talk about system reform. But another thing that the Royal Pharmacy Council has been able to do is to compare the scope of practice of pharmacists amongst all those different countries. So Canada, the United Kingdom, the United States, you know, the UK, Ireland, et cetera, et cetera. And we win the wooden spoon, right? We have the narrowest clinical scope of practice in the developed world. And that's something that I would like to fix in my term as being national president of the Guild. 
So what does, to answer your question, a full scope of practice pharmacists look like? Well, what things can we do for Australians? And we are medicine experts and we will continue to be medicine experts, but we can't do all of the things with medicines that are required to manage people's health. So we need to be able to prescribe, dispense, administer and review. And we have the training to do all those things, but we can't do all of those things for all medicines for all people. The big gaps in that continuum, prescribing, dispensing, administering and reviewing, are clearly in prescribing and administering. By and large, pharmacists can dispense and review every medicine right now for every patient, but we can't prescribe every medicine for every patient or administer every medicine for every patient. So they're the two areas that we're going to see large gains in in the coming years. And what that will mean for Australians is that they can access preventative healthcare because we'll be able to vaccinate all Australians against all diseases. They will be able to access treatment for acute occasions of service, whether it be uncomplicated urinary tract infections, whether it be for exercise-induced asthma, whether it be getting a simple suture, so a stitch, because they may have cut their knee or bumped their elbow. But it's also helping manage chronic disease, and that's the third pillar. So vaccine-preventable diseases, acute occasions of service, and chronic disease management. So, And when it's chronic disease management, the folly of other bodies when it comes to full scope of practice is they think that you can have this done by disease state by disease state. And as healthcare professionals, we don't treat diseases, we treat people. And as a lot of young pharmacists know, in fact, all of them should, diseases don't exist in isolation. Many people have comorbidities. So if I'm going to be a solution, a healthcare destination to help people manage their chronic disease, we can't have a structured or supervised prescribing model that enables me to only practice under the supervision of another practitioner or only treat one of these diseases. I need to be able to treat the whole individual, which is why the only solution to system reform and full scope of practice for Australians is autonomous prescribing pharmacists. We're going to go forwards. We're not going to go backwards. And the only way that we can go forwards is to embrace change, acknowledge change, We need to embrace technology to take over a lot of those repetitive things that contributing to burnout, right? Ordering, stock management, a lot of the technical aspects of dispensing. So it can free our time up to do those more professionally rewarding things, those cognitive things that we've spent half a decade training and and obtaining. And that's what will ensure that not only do we attract the very best talent to our profession, but we also, most importantly, retain the very best talent in our profession. But all pharmacists, pharmacy owners, experienced pharmacists and young pharmacists have to change. And if change is exhausting, but it's exhausting if you're a mechanic and it's also exhausting if you're a pharmacist. Think of how different. Uh, My dad's a mechanic and so is my brother. Think of how different a Tesla is to a 1983 Corolla. And the same thing can be applied to our profession in the treatment that's provided to a community pharmacy in 1983 and the treatment that will be provided to a community pharmacy in 2021. So as I said before, I want to attract talent. I want to retain talent. I want a professionally rewarding uh, profession, a highly remunerated profession. Um, But we're only going to get those things if everybody changes. And that's from the pharmacy owner to the pharmacist manager to the pharmacy assistant. And the guild's job is to be here and help assist you with that change.
in terms of that change, what are some of the qualities or skill sets an early career pharmacist can gain? And to be honest with you, the number one thing is attitude. It is uh, copying criticism on the chin. It's accepting it in the way in which it's given. It's to not only help you improve and grow, it's to help the business improve and grow and become more robust and uh, become more resilient to be able to meet these external shocks and pressures. Pharmacy is not unique and different. General practice is, is, is going through an immense period of change, right? Tertiary healthcare is going through an immense period of change. There are financial pressures in every healthcare sector and there are technological disruptions happening in every single sector. So thinking the grass is greener on the other side and jumping the fence, I'm, I'm really sorry. You'll invest in that reskilling and rechanging and you'll wake up in five years' time in a new profession and realise you've got exactly the same challenges because the thing that needs to change here is in each and every one of us. I'm the national president from me down. We need to become more resilient. We need to uh, have the right attitude, right, and realise that making a mistake is the only way that we grow. So... To be honest with you, the technical skills required to prescribe, to dispense and administer and review, most of our pharmacists are already there. The biggest challenge to full scope of practice is removing the regulatory impediments to us doing these things, but also if and a change in the way we think and in the way we act. And this isn't just me saying this. This is the experts. Professor Ross Suzuki, who's the world-renowned expert on pharmacists full scope of practice from Alberta and Canada, he says the biggest barrier to full scope of practice is us. It's us changing the way we see ourselves within a system and changing the way we see ourselves as individuals in and stepping up to the plate and seizing that opportunity. So my biggest bit of advice to young pharmacists is the same piece of advice, to be honest, that I would give to all young people, not just young pharmacists. It's you are going to fail and that's okay. You are going to fail and guess what? Some of it's going to be your fault. It's not always someone else's fault. Oh, the owner didn't give me the the resources I need. Oh, the patient had an unrealistic expectation. Those things are all both true as well. But it's also some of the faults yours. And guess what? You could have a look at my personal career and I've had many more failures than I've had successes. But it's the way I dealt with those failures that built up resistance and enabled me to forge ahead, learn from what I did wrong and realise it's not the end of the world and, and I've got heaps of support around me to address it and handle that challenge differently next time I face it. Every time when you fail, what is that thought? What is that thing that made you keep going? in the same direction. Right, for the first decade of my career, decade, which seems like a long time when you're 22, but when you're 40, it doesn't seem like that long. I can tell you for the first decade, I worked 12 hours a day, six days a week in a day-night pharmacy. In a dispensary, I had methadone patients there waiting for me when I rocked up in the morning. I had, as I stuck the key in and pushed the bolt down at nine o'clock at night, I had someone saying, I need infant Panadol. Can you reopen? And I reopened. 
when I took the claims home and sorted the claims and all this time I was an empl- uh, you know I was the pharmacist manager I wasn't the pharmacy owner I had my my 18 month old rip the claim apart and had to resort the whole bloody thing and this was the first decade but I put the hard yards in and when you put the hard yards in you build equity and equity isn't just a financial deposit so I can buy my first home with my wife and, and equity and equity so we can go from a double income house down to a single income house for a period of time so we can raise our children. Equity isn't just a deposit so I can buy the first 15% of a pharmacy. Equity is also building up that reserve of experience so I can draw down on it when I'm exhausted and when I'm tired. And that's the difference. That's what experience gives you. So a new graduate has better skills and knowledge than an experienced pharmacist, much better skills and knowledge. Your clinical skills are far better than ours, but you don't have experience. And what experience does is it gives you perspective and it enables you to handle shocks and there will be personal shocks in your life, health shocks for loved ones, whether it's mental health or not, there will be shocks financially whether they're personally or in your business. And you know what? That's what you need to invest in that I said at the beginning. And if you don't persevere in building that equity of not just a financial asset but experienced asset, you won't be able to then take that next step and and grow. And I can assure you, Georgina and I would love business partners in all our pharmacies and every pharmacy owner I talk to would love a business partner. But do you know how I got my first equity stake? I bloody well asked for it. (laughs) I didn't sit there and wait for a, a, you know, a 12-month review from my employer and for them to say, would you like to buy in with me? I said, you know what, can we have a chat? I'd like to have a beer after work on Friday or can I come in and have a a cup of coffee with you on Tuesday morning before work? I've really enjoyed this role I'm performing with you at the moment, but I want more. And how can I get more? And is more for me being a pharmacy owner? I asked for it. Someone didn't come and knock on my door and say, Trent, would you like to be national president or Trent, would you like to be a pharmacy owner? I took responsibility for my own career and I asked for it. And I I would encourage everyone that's listening to find out what that is for you and go out and take it. Well, thank you for sharing that. So many pharmacists find it difficult to get into ownership. Apart from we know now that we should ask for it, but also what other advice would you give to early career pharmacists who want to get into ownership? Get off your ass and move. If you expect an opportunity to rock up and land on your lap in a postcode that you want, to be honest, that is exceptionally naive. And Georgina and I, Georgina was born in in Launceston. I was born in Cairns. She had to move to Hobart to become a pharmacist. I had to move to Townsville to become a pharmacist. We moved to Newcastle and worked there to get experience. And then we ended up back in Cairns where the ownership is. So if you look at Georgina and my career, it's involved being the first people in our families to ever go to university. Neither of my parents ever went to university. It involved moving to another city to get educated. It involved moving to another state to get experience, and it involved moving interstate again to get into ownership. And you can be a boilermaker 
And if you expect to sit in your postcode and have the money roll in, um, you're naive. But if you want to become a FIFO fly-in, fly-out worker for a short period of time and do those hard yards, you can build all of that equity that I was talking about before, both experience and financial, and then you can move to where you want. So I think it's, I've never met a Pharmacy Guild member, I've never met an owner who said that their business didn't perform better with a managing partner. And I've never met a pharmacy owner who has not said, if I had a great piece of talent come to me and say, I can do something really great with this pharmacy, this is what I'd like to do. And I'd like to um, not only do that for you, but I want to do that for me. And I think together we can both be more who haven't sold something to that person. So pharmacies a fantastic profession. I would choose it over again, over and over again. But you know what? Georgina and I didn't get into pharmacy ownership in the heyday when there was truckloads of money. We came in with price disclosure, right? We came in with all of these challenges. And I know a young pharmacist now, I know for a fact a young pharmacist now can have not only a clinically and professionally rewarding career, but can have a financially rewarding one as well and can find multiple ownership opportunities. They just have to invest in themselves and go to where the opportunities are. So I'm curious, how do you find the right fit in terms of partnership? It's like a marriage. Most of them work and some of them don't. And I also think that's something that we we need to acknowledge as well. I think it's going in with your eyes wide open in realising what I said before, that you're going to make mistakes. Some things are going to work and some, some aren't. And and I know a lot of the listeners, most of the young pharmacists, I suppose, won't be married, but many of them will probably be living with their other half. And you know what it's like when two independent individuals move in together? There's got to be give and take. Are we going to use margarine or butter? Are we going to use full cream or skim? Um, I didn't even know what organic was until my wife told me about it. But you have to change and they'll have to change. Here's another tip, right? Um, Georgina and I have business partners. They're in their 60s and we bought in, they're in their 60s now, as I say, and we're, we're around 40, but we've been into business with each other for over 15 years. So they were in their early 50s and we we're in our late 20s. If I just use the generalisation of generations here, there are many skills that baby boomer generation have that I can learn from, many because it's shock horror, I don't know everything. But there are many things they learn off us too, many things they learn off us. And I'm the youngest national president in the history of the Pharmacy Guild. I'm smack bang in the middle of the bell curve of of pharmacists in Australia. So I'm not old and I'm the head of the employer union. But guess what? Just like you graduate one day from uni and something clicks in your mind and you realise that your parents aren't there for you, you're there for your parents and they'll always be there for you, but you just realise in your mind that you're there for them as well. I think that's what you need to realise when you go into partnership with an older person and they're not old, they're just older. They need your help just as much as you need theirs. So if you expect this to be this mentoring-mentee relationship where they always know best, It's not always like that. They're flawed individuals, just like you're a flawed individual. Um, And they will make mistakes like you make mistakes and they have shortcomings like you have shortcomings. But it's easier for a young person to change than it is an old person, right? It is easier. 
So sometimes we have to bend as the junior partner a little bit more than they do. And I think you'll find if you show that respect to your senior partner, I think you'll find that if you bend just a little, that will endear you to them so much that they will, they'll bend quite a lot. But they just need to see you have that bit of sacrifice. They just need to see you give that little bit extra and not think that they owe you something. So I think if you, if you find that, it'll, it'll take time to build that. But we have a, an amazing relationship with our business partners. But I would be completely honest with you if I said it wasn't a little rocky at the beginning. But, you know, it's just like when you were saying to me before, a lot of people leaving the profession. And to be honest, um, just so you know, that is true, but it's not a lot. But it feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? So you know how you get that feeling when you're young and, and you're working in as an employee that you're in the grind every day and how do I get out of the grind? That starts again when you become a business partner. So you just got to acknowledge there's going to be that forming, storming, norming process and sometimes it takes many years, but it, it's definitely worth it. So, you know, as an owner, what are some of the qualities you are looking for in your junior partners? I'm looking for a good work ethic. You will do more hours than I will. And that's okay. I need to still do hours, right? Clinical hours. I need to keep my hand in. But you will do more than me. You will own less and you'll do more. And that's just the role of it. It's about a partnership, yes, but the partners bring different things. So Georgina and I do far more clinical hours than our business partners. And that's okay because they've bought other forms of equity to that partnership that we didn't have. And I keep using this word equity because it's not just about dollars. It's about that equity of experience that I can draw on when I need it. And when things are going smooth and well, you think you can do it all on your own. And then when things are rocky, you think, thank goodness I've got them there to help me. My advice is, is work hard and put the hours in. And just curious, what's the best way for our early career pharmacists to find mentors when you don't know anyone who are owners? You know, labels are a scary thing. Okay. I know young pharmacists hate labels as well. You don't like being put in boxes. And I won't get into that, but I think that's a generational thing. People, people like to create their own definition and, and sometimes that definition can change and whatever. I'm not getting into that. But think of how daunting it could be for a pharmacist when you come to you and say, I want you to be my mentor. Crap, what does that mean? It's such a huge responsibility. It's not that they don't want to give back and it's not that they don't want to support you and nurture you and be there for you when you need them. But having formally asking somebody, will you please be my mentor, I have to say would probably daunt most pharmacists. And not because they don't want to but because they're afraid they won't meet your expectations. So I've got many, many mentors. I've got mentors that are within my family. I've got mentors in business and I've got mentors in in politics, both in the guild and, and in real politics. Remember that conversation we had before when, you know, you finally realise your parents are flawed people and you're there just as much for them as they're here for you. And it's the same thing with your business partners. It's that with mentors as well. There's no such thing as a perfect mentor. Because guess what? You're not bloody perfect either. So I have multiple mentors. I have people that I look to that help me be a good dad. I have people that I look to that help me be a good husband. I have people that I look to that help me um, be a good public speaker and um, people that I look to that help me be a good clinician. So I think it's about a network, right? It's about creating that family. And I know 
that if I can ever be there for any young pharmacist in Australia because they think, gee, one of his qualities might be half decent. But let me tell you, I've got a whole lot of qualities that aren't that decent either. But if there's any part of what I do that that could be of any small assistance to anybody, then I'd be happy to give it. So having a structured mentor-mentee relationship, yes, it happens and, yes, they can be exceptionally valuable and fruitful for both parties. But I think having that label can be daunting to a lot of experienced pharmacists, not because they don't want to help, but because they just, they, they're afraid they won't meet your expectations. So just establish a professional network of colleagues. And that's not a formal thing. That's using social media, using LinkedIn, um, using social groups, join Rotary, join the College of Pharmacy, go to some, come to APP, do all those types of things. Now I want to talk about leadership since, you know, throughout your career, you have been involved in many leadership positions. What have you learned from these roles? Someone gave me a piece of advice once. Just keep showing up, Trent. Just keep showing up. And to be honest with you, member-based organisations, and the Guild has one of the highest membership rates of any professional body anywhere in Australia. You know, we've got 80% membership rates. It's insane. AMA has 17% membership rate. So people are happy to join, but people aren't necessarily happy to volunteer to lead. And that's true whether it's, as I said, your local Rotary Club, your Lions Club, your local Chamber of Commerce, and and the Guild is is no different. People are very busy. And just like I said before, people don't like labels and people would probably be hesitant to say, yes, I will be a formal mentor. Um, I think what you find is many people go, listen, I'd I'd love to help in the Guild, but I'm afraid I, I don't have the time which let me tell you is, is nonsense because there are many ways to contribute now and COVID-19 has taught us one of these things that you can contribute remotely um, quite well. And the Guild is highly flexible. We've never had more young people or more females on our national councillor and um, we work differently to those people that came before us and we can work at different times than the people that come before us. I mean, I've got an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old you know, and I love to take them, my son to union, you know, to, to his rugby games. I like to take my daughter to a swimming squad. So I can work at night, but sometimes between four and six in the afternoon, it's a little bit more difficult for me because I'm a young dad and I'm not going to choose the guild over being a dad. But that piece of advice that I had early in my career about Trent just keeps showing up, I think is, it stuck with me. And I think it's something that I would say to all young pharmacists as well. Do you think I had all the skills and knowledge I've got now to be the national president of the Guild when I first registered? Of course I didn't. I kept rocking up to, and I became, to, to Jakupsa meetings and to NAPSA when I became its president and then to the college when I became its president and then to the Guild when I became it. And through that whole period of time, I, I grew and I learned and I built that equity of experience. And now it's time for me to draw down on that to help, you know, steer the profession through this, this period of change. But we need leaders. We need people to volunteer. And I suppose you can either be somebody that follows or you can be somebody that leads. And I would love all of those pharmacists to to volunteer in some capacity to help guide and, and shape the profession because decisions are made by those that show up, not those that bitch and whinge on a keyboard or on their iPhone. 
So how can early career pharmacists get involved when we don't have enough experience? I never had all the experience I had at the beginning of my career and I kept showing up. Mm-hmm. So start showing up. It's <laughs> the first thing. I love keyboard warriors because it's always great to be an expert behind the safety of your, you know, your Facebook chat group where it's closed and you can have a whinge. It's brave, isn't it, to show up and it's brave to speak out. So I don't want you to hide in your dispensaries. I don't want you to hide in social media chat groups. I want you to be brave and I want you to show up. And I, you will be welcomed, right, by me. Uh, but let me tell you, when I first started, some of those old white males weren't so welcoming of me when I showed up and started telling them about the things I wanted changes and the injustices that I had. And you know what? They did some pretty nasty things to me early on in my career. And I could have bowed out and said, aren't they mean old men? I could have done that. That would have been easy. But I didn't. I kept showing up and I I kept criticising. And and criticisms, as I said before, it doesn't matter about if you're receiving criticism from your patients or from your employer. Criticism is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's the only way we grow. And I was lucky that there were a group of people, women and men in the guild, who saw my criticism for what it was. And it was with a genuine interest to not only improve the union, but the profession. And now we've got a, a broad coalition of, of, of women and men across Australia who, who have bought into this, this full scope of practice agenda. And that's what we're driving for. Last question. So any last words or advice you would like to share with our early career pharmacists? to help us to create a successful pharmacy career? Invest in yourselves, take criticism, be bold, take risks, build equity of experience and equity of money, and acknowledge that you're first and foremost caregivers. And that is a great responsibility. And it is also a great honour. And you will find that your career is so rewarding because you are caring for your patients, you are caring for your staff, will be caring for your business partners. And if you just have that switch in your brain that you are here to care for other people just as they're here to care for you, and if you can give and bend a bit first, you'll find that others and the world will give and bend around you. And I just want to thank you for choosing pharmacy. I want to thank you for choosing community pharmacy. And I just want to assure you, you've got a national president that has all of your patients' best interests at heart. And the only way for me to have your patients' best interests at heart is to have your best interests at heart. And I do. If you ever want to reach out and talk to me, feel free in whatever platform or format you wish. I'd love to hear from you. Great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone else who you think would benefit from it, we would be grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we help even more pharmacists develop a career and life they love. If you have any questions or suggestions about future podcast episodes, please reach out to us via email, info at ravensrecruitment.com.au.